When I look back, I marvel at myself because prior to 2007, I never really traveled out of Nigeria. And here was I, I didn't have any relatives, no friends in the UK. I was coming all by myself. Remember September 18th, 2007, when I arrived in Glasgow Central. Wow. <laughs> I felt lost, <laughs> figuratively and literally. <laughs> what have I done? There was a number of things to get used to, uh, obviously, the weather. I'd never really thought it could get that cold. I used to say to people, here, yeah, it's as if everyone is living in a giant deep freezer. So yeah, the cold was there, the culture was there, getting used to the food. So there was just so many moving parts and not having any support network at that point in time, 2007. It's made things really difficult. But what made that period easy was Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Stories That Shape Us. I'm your podcast host, Samuel Agbede. As you may know, if, if this is not your first time joining us, we believe everyone has a story and we believe our stories can inspire, our stories can want others, our stories can encourage as well. Today we've got an exciting guest. We've got Niyi Oludipe, who is the director of Shefa Properties. His company is founded on the premise that they provide high quality homes where beautiful memories can be created. Now, We'll talk about this very shortly, but he posted about this on LinkedIn. We'll talk about his social media and his websites. And they basically target areas where you have old or dilapidated properties and they transform it um, into, into a beautiful home. So, Nee, it's such an honor to have you. Thank you so much for coming. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks, Samuel. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you tonight. How was your trip from Edinburgh? Yeah, it was smooth. Yes, just the bit of traffic, but nothing too serious. So it was a smooth ride down here. Awesome. Awesome. So as I mentioned earlier, we'll start with rapid fire questions. Okay. And five questions, you have five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. So does, that, does that mean one question, a second per question? No, no, ah, five, five seconds five? <laughs> So okay. um, for each question, you have five seconds. Yeah, but there's no pressure there. Yeah, sure. Are, are, are you ready? I'll try, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Question one. Yep. What's your favorite book? Favorite book? Deep Thinking. Deep Thinking. Okay, cool. Favorite food? What's your favorite food? Did you have one? Favorite food, yeah. Rice. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So, rice. Question three. If you could have dinner with three inspiring leaders, living or dead? What leaders will you choose or invite? Um, I'll choose Barack Obama because he is uh, one of the greatest inspirational leaders we have alive today. I will choose Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn is the father of motivational speakers and speaks truth about how to actually transform one's life, which is something that resonates very deeply with me. And then thirdly, yeah, I'll choose Oprah Winfrey because how her journey of where she came from and what she's doing now is truly inspiring. So, yeah. Okay. So, Barack, Jim Ron, and Oprah. Yeah, cool. How is the rapid fire going? Should I up my game? Is it too easy? <laughs> I think it's just fine. It's okay for now. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. <clears throat> Favorite holiday destination? Favorite holiday destination, Malaga, I'd say. And the reason when we went to Malaga, it was one of those places where... 
you could go out in the morning in your shorts and flip-flops on like other places where the sun might come up I get warmer during as they went on but yeah so just having such a place and of course it's a very picturesque place as well it have lovely beaches very nice scenery and landscapes Okay. So, and went with the family as well and we had such a very exciting time okay so, so malaga malaga yeah in spain awesome final question is a bit deeper so feel free to mm-hmm. to take a few more seconds than than mm-hmm. than five seconds if you could name three people that have had the most impact or influence on your life personally mm-hmm. who would they be my parents and then secondly my spiritual mentor was called Shola Ladipo and my business mentor called Ralph and, and why those three uh, those three my parents they brought me up and taught me uh, very sound values that has shaped me into who I am the second person almost considering him like a second father to me because I saw a different part of life. He was married to a Nigerian who was married to someone from St. Lucia near Canada and it gave me an insight into a different form of life from what you have in the typical African family. He really took me as a son honest. and then my businessman mentor, he's been very even his story and his business journey has been very inspirational and his counsel and wisdom have benefited has been of great benefit to me and he's also been very supportive of the work we're doing at Sheffer Properties. Okay. Okay. And talking about Sheffer, when did you start? So Sheffer Properties started was co-founded by myself and my wife Elizabeth five and a half years ago in February in twenty eighteen. A few years prior to that I was working as a contractor with RBS, now NatWest. Orf was contracting as well. We had a, a decent amount of disposable income between us, and we're just considering what things we invest in. We tried different things. We tried shares. We tried investing in car business. It, it didn't quite work out. So we looked into property investment. This was around 2017. And, yeah, we bought our first property, a one-bed flat in Edinburgh. And just during the whole conveyancing process, I stumbled on a free property seminar holding in Edinburgh, supposedly by Robert Kiyosaki. So I'd read his book, many people have done Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I thought, oh, wow, it's coming into the city where I live. I need to go and see it. So I the invite to a number of my friends. However, and I went along the night Unsurprisingly, he wasn't there because it turned out I was the affiliated oh, uh, wow. property education company <laughs> <laughs> that was organizing it. However, what we heard that night, yeah, just really blew our minds mm. and really expanded our minds and I think gave us an insight into things that we'd more or less dreamt about but really couldn't quite articulate and that was about getting freedom of time and the flexibility and passive income and financial freedom and also just the current state of the UK housing market and the you know massive gap between the demand and, and, and supply and the perennial shortage. We saw a great opportunity to make a difference uh, so a great opportunity to create flexibility of time 
to allow us to spend more time with our young kids and also do more things we enjoy. And just also just saw it as a great opportunity to be able to build for the long term. Mm. So that's that's the primary motivation for Sheffield Properties. But as we got into it, the model we operate, buying old properties, derelict properties, and transforming them into really high-quality homes, that feeling of giving new life to what looked dead and empty, it created a, an intrinsic satisfaction that made us want to do this more. Mm-hmm. And after the whole process is completed and you hand over the houses or the properties to tenants, just at least a few tenants that we interacted with because many of our properties are managed by license agents, just the joy in their faces. Yeah, those things, the kind of satisfaction they provide goes beyond the economic rewards mm. that you get from uh, running such a business. That is something that's just really continued to motivate us okay. and share properties, yeah. Okay. At that point in time, why the property market for you or by the property business? I know you said you've tried you tried stocks and shares, you tried yeah. other things, but why was property your base out of all the business you could, you could choose? Yeah, because for one, property is, is tangible. <laughs> it's bricks and mortar, one. Secondly, because we saw there was huge potential there, because looking at the perennial shortage of the UK housing market, that meant, okay, this was a business that would be for the long term because of the huge demand and the shortage of the supply. So we saw there was a great opportunity there. And also in terms of long future value appreciation, unlike other investment assets, as long as you make your purchase at the right location, properties tend to appreciate in the long term. And just looking at when we looked at data of the past 50 years, property prices within the UK have maintained an upward trend, even in spite of the whole financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Even though, yeah, property prices declined sharply then, they've seen, since risen and even gone beyond their mm. pre eight levels. Then, secondly, there is saying, I'm a Christian, and there is a wise saying that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And of course, you teach your children very sound values and all, but in terms of leaving an inheritance for them, I just felt having something tangible to leave for them was also something that really moved us towards property. And thirdly, I guess the fact that it is not just an investment, it's actually, it has a direct social impact. Of course, I know if you invest in shares, yeah, you're investing in shares of companies that are making a difference, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, you're one of hundreds, maybe thousands of people on that. But in terms of investing in a property that a family has made their own home, that and having that opportunity to be able to literally provide a roof mm. for someone's head, to provide a 
good quality, stable environment for them, which enables them even the peace of mind and just the headspace to be able to plan there. Yeah, I can't just see any other investment right. class that comes close to it. Yeah, these are the main reasons why we okay. decided to focus on property investment. Okay. I do have a number of questions around property, but I, I think we should perhaps go back to even much earlier for the UK okay. and talk a bit about your upbringing and childhood. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that your parents um, have had a big impact on you as a person. Could you please walk me through what your upbringing and growing up was like for you and how, and if you could maybe give me a few pivotal moments on that journey to becoming the knee that's sitting in front of me right now. Yeah. I grew up in, in a loving home. My dad was a banker. And oh, my, my mom. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I just followed in his uh, footsteps okay. in my, the first uh, part of my career. My mom was a head teacher and then later became a, a local council official back in Nigeria. I'm one of uh, a family of seven. I'm the last born. So, yeah, I, I had a very stable upbringing. I was brought up with Christian values in addition to just social values of hard work, preparing for the future, of believing in yourself and, of course, believing in God. And, yeah, uh, I grew up in Ibadan and went to University of Ibadan for my first degree in um, economics. And then after that, moved to Lagos to begin my career. Obviously, making the move to Lagos, that was a significant change what I'd known because I had to find my own way in life, as it were. But I think I was ready for it, and I did a research, got a place with what used to be known as FSB Bank then years ago, and for my National Youth Service and joined Access Bank for moving to Guarantee Trust. I was in Guarantee Trust between 2004 and 2007, and then moved to the UK in pursuit of, like I mentioned earlier, Guarantee Trust is a really great organization that people who worked there back then, at least, mm. prided themselves in being part of such an organization. But I just had a desire to have a more global view in terms of furthering my education, working in a global environment, engaging with other cultures, other people, getting to experience how other people live, not just within the UK, but in America and Asia. And yeah, coming to the UK would give me the platform to be able to experience life and also further my career. Okay. You mentioned earlier about one of the values I mentioned that was imbibed in you when you were growing up was believing in yourself. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a bit more about that and how your upbringing specifically impacted that part of your life? Because my said my dad used to work away, so when he came home. At some point, I was the only one at home because all my siblings had left then to uni or so others who were working. And I was just um, having those occasional fireside chats about life, his own experiences, about how his dad died when he was 20. And he was the first of, I think, eight children. And he had to look after his siblings and his mom. 
So that really imbibed in him the importance of hard work and the mm. importance of really depending on God and also depending on yourself and ensuring that you try your very best to whatever it was you set out to do. That had an impact on me and it's something that has really pushed me on and been a great source of motivation throughout my life whether I was going into university because I applied for the course myself and I was away and I just chose the course I wanted to do. And what course was that, sir? It was economics. Okay. And I studied economics because I, I figured whatever other course was within the uh, <laughs> economic uh, system, I wanted to really just understand how everything interacted together within a society. So that and also getting my first job, moving to the UK. For me, moving to the UK was, when I look back now, 16 years later, I marvel at myself because prior to 2007, I never really traveled out of the country, out of Nigeria. And here was I, I didn't have any relatives, no friends in the UK. I was just coming all by myself in 2007. I remember September 18th, 2007, when I arrived in Glasgow Central. I felt lost, (laughs) figuratively and literally. (laughs) What have I done? But, and uh, of course, there was just a number of things to get used to. Obviously, the weather, I'd never really thought it could get that cold. I used to say to people, yeah, here, it's as if everyone is living in a giant deep freeze. So yeah, the cold was there, the culture was there, getting used to the food. So there was just so many moving parts and there were just many different things that I had to adjust to and not having any support network at that point in time, 2007, was just made things really quite difficult. But what made that period really very easy was my fiancé, now wife. Then she was a great source of encouragement and support for me. She was still in Nigeria when I came, master's. Uh, I think being able to step out of your comfort zone and take risks in the hope of a better future for mm-hmm. yourself and for your nearest and dearest, I think has been underpinned by that value of believing with God all things are possible and also just believing yourself as well that things, if you push hard and do your due diligence and and just have a firm belief you can do, yeah. Things you thought you couldn't do. Okay. And talking about belief, both in yourself and in God, what would you say has been a circumstance or a few situations that have challenged that belief? Where you were like, I used to believe in myself, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. I I used to say that I, I think the decision to come to the UK and come to the whole process itself was a very difficult one, said because I didn't have any support network and I just I had to find out everything by myself and mm. just really get used to everything. I think 
the, the most difficult decision to, to that was after I finished my master's program, because then the financial crisis was in full swing. I'd left my country, I'd left a fantastic job, working with a fantastic boss, and I'd come to the UK to study international finance. And at the end of that program, the financial sector was taking the entire global economy down with it. That was the scenario when I was coming to the end of my master's program. So I had a decision to make, a very nearly agonizing decision. And that was, okay, do I go back to Lagos, Nigeria, where a job, my job, possibly a promotion was waiting for me? Or do I stay here in the UK with the financial crisis and layoffs becoming an everyday thing in the UK. So it was a tough decision for me. And I think one of the things that helped me compose myself and just come back to that value of belief was that, look, even though it might mean starting from scratch, even though I don't know how things will pan out, I came here to make a better life for myself and for my family. I wasn't even married then, but thought about the future I wanted for my family. I thought, yeah, this is an, an environment in which I'll want to raise my family. Yeah, when that self-belief was challenged, I think those were the kind of thoughts that really gave me the courage to uh, make the decision to stay. Okay. Do you know what ignited those mm. thoughts? Because I'm trying to work out how you even got those thoughts in the first place. Was it you talking to people? Was it you reading books? Or was it just because of the kind of upbringing you had, because of the kind of person you are, maybe you're a naturally resilient person? Mm-hmm. What was like the backbone of your response to that challenge? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of, uh, of things. Okay. Number one, it said, yeah, firm belief in God. Belief in myself, which was shaking at that point. <laughs> uh, and also, yeah, just reading lots of books. And by then, I had a few friends. But the question on everybody's lips was the same. That, are you staying or are you going back? <laughs> uh, I guess having that foundation, the upbringing and the values that I'd imbibed. And yeah, just really simple trusts that things were going to work out and I guess an acceptance that okay this decision means you're you're choosing the hard part because the easy part would have been to go back to Nigeria to get current with my old job possibly a promotion but staying was me actually charting new territory I was me starting life afresh starting anew in terms of building a future for which I didn't really have any framework or comparison because of what was going on. But yeah, just had, had the firm belief that things would work out. Okay. And you started afresh. And 15 years later, you are the director of Sheffield <laughs> and <laughs> Properties. Well, how'd that pan out? Let's um, think a bit about UK and moving to the UK and your growth in the UK. Could mm-hmm. you please walk me through that experience from your perspective, knowing that you're starting afresh, you didn't come with, you didn't have anything in a sense in, mm-hmm. in that position? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was about just research. I, I think Google was my best friend. <laughs> so? Because all of the information, thankfully, I came um, to the UK with my laptop in my room. Yeah, I just used to sit down. Uh, things that I didn't know, things that I had to get used to. Yeah, it was just Google was my go-to just to find out the information. And because there was just loads and loads of information there, the International Development Office in the school was also helpful, especially in the early days of uni, but principally just doing a lot of personal research and also understanding that I'm in a new culture, I'm in a new environment I'm with the new people, and I will need to make some adjustments, some changes to my mindset, to my outlook, to my engagement. Obviously, my principles and values, those are very well set. But just in terms of everyday living, I knew I also had to change. And yeah, I guess change and character development I usually fought in the furnace of difficulty, as it were. So I think some of the challenges that I had, making all those adjustments, making the changes. And then, yeah, just simply not having family or close network to lean on. This meant I had to lean on God, lean on myself and my wife, Elizabeth, see then. That helped the process of growth and getting out of bed every day and pushing ahead. Okay. You've mentioned Elizabeth a few times now and how she's been like a pillar of support for you. I thought we should maybe talk about her as well. How did you both, how did you both meet, first of all? Let's even start from like the, <laughs> the beginning of the beginnings. She's my friend's sister. So I went to uni with, with her brother. Uh, we're both in class, very good friends, and I'd gone to visit him. After uni, I'd gone to visit him at home. He wasn't there, and she kindly came to sit with me and had a really good conversation. And she left and thought, oh, wow, that's a very smart young lady. And that was it. So it was only a few years later when I was thinking of settling down. I tried, I'd applied to come to the UK a few times, and if he had been rejected. So at some point, I'd actually just even concluded that, yeah, maybe it wasn't meant to be. I was just going to live my life in, in Nigeria. So it was at that time, 2007, I lost my mom. Um, and it was just a bit of a, um, it's a very sad, difficult period for me then. And I was looking to settled down and one thing led to the other she and I got reconnected again and I just really found her someone who is a great person to chat with and used to talk a lot and just have conversations about very di different things she's very interesting personality and yeah that's, that's how I just figured okay I think I found the person I want to spend the rest of my life with and this was how many years after that, that first faithful day? <laughs> so probably about six, seven years, actually. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. And in, in, in what ways has she been that support or, or pillar of strength for you, particularly in the tough times? 
suddenly my first year here when I, I was studying, really she, she was working there. Yeah, she used to encourage me a, a lot. I spoke every day, sometimes twice a day. And yeah, she was the listening ear and just a very encouraging person um, to me during that period. And throughout the journey here in the UK, founding Sheffer Properties, she's always been an incredible support yeah. of that. You mentioned earlier when you're talking about like challenges and you mentioned now about the period where you lost your mom and how that was quite a dark time for you. I'm, I'm so sorry to, to hear yeah, yeah, about sure. that. Um, how did you get yeah. through that phase? Because it sounds like quite a lo- number of things were going on. You're tr- you know, trying to get out of the country. Yeah. What was that experience like for you, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I've been trying to... In fact, I'd had an admission to Glasgow Uni since 2003. But because I couldn't secure a visa, I kept deferring the admission. And by 2006, I think I'd come to the conclusion that it wasn't going to happen. And prior to that, I literally put my life on hold. I was living with my brother. I didn't make any significant purchases because in my mind, I was like, look, I'm only here temporarily. I don't want anything to tie me down. But by 2006, when that wasn't happening, moved out of my brother's house, secured my own flat, and I just bought a car and just determined to, to settle down in Nigeria. So I think I was already just living that life um, when you know my my mom passed away. Yeah. It was because I was closer to my mom growing up than my dad. I really felt her absence. Um, how I got through it, just taking one day at a time and just believing that, yeah, it's going to be in a better place. It gave me hope and also just wanted to make me settle down um, even more. Taking each day at a time and just yeah. doing your best with each day as it comes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Maybe towards the end, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about like your reflections on, on that period as well in your life in general. But back to the UK, you finished uni. What was the process of getting a job like after uni? Was that fairly easy for you? Because I know that several international students tend to complain about the difficulty of that process due to the simple reason that most companies need a visa to they need a visa to be able to work for companies, etc. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, there was a theme just from many of the companies that rejected your application, and that's for lack of UK experience. And that became a bit frustrating because you're like, okay, unless... Actually, get to work in the UK. How am I going to get this so-called UK experience? I've got good experience where I'm coming from in terms of my, and also in terms of uh, good educational background. But yeah, I guess that's probably part of many organizations' consideration in terms of oh, visa sponsorship and all of that. There's, it wasn't really easy to secure a job for that reason. and But I got a part-time job whilst I was still at uni in Barclays. When I finished, I was able to secure a permanent role with them. But yeah, getting that part-time job, I, I think 
for me was quite challenging. Mm. And the Barclays job, because I was already working part-time, as an easy transition into the company there. But yeah, the initial period was um, definitely very difficult. Um, okay. Um, okay. And from there, you because you already had that entrance into the, in, the industry, yeah. you were yeah. able to move on to other roles. Exactly, yeah. And so that was a foot in the door. But a few years where I was working, yeah, I think the sender was short. We're going to make the people there redundant. And mm-hmm. We had to reapply. So I, reply, I reapplied for a new role within Barclays Wealth. Then so it was mm-hmm. known, got a nun on his troll, and then I was moved to Barclays Capital, moved to a project at that time, looking to transfer some of the processes, to migrate some of the back-end processes from London up to Glasgow. So I was part of that program, part of the project team, and I used to um, commute to London on a weekly basis for about 20 half months just to understand some of the processes there and set up the desk here in Glasgow. So that, that was a really good experience. I think the initial ones I was able to get through the initial hurdle of securing the first, my first role, then that was the foot in the door, mm-hmm. so to speak, and it made moving ahead much easier. For some reason, as you were talking, I could picture a random international student listening right now that perhaps was is in where you were. What advice would you give to someone who is not just come from overseas, to study or to make it in life here. And they, they've, they're starting afresh. They don't really have people. What advice would you give to them to make the most of, of, of their time here? Well, yeah, I'm not making a, a promo or a plug for them. What I'll, the single piece of advice I'll give anyone is for them to join Black Professionals Scotland. I think it's a fantastic organization that really focuses on helping international students, people of ethnic minority, just to settle into the country, build a solid network, and also be able to get into their career progression very quickly. That was something that was non-existent when we came in 2007. I think it's a fantastic initiative and it makes the journey a lot easier for Mm, those who are coming now. And I know that was on the back of the journey and similar experience that who's one of the founders of the organization. That's part of what prompted him to set up the organization because he also had a difficulty during, yeah. during these early days. So I think that that would be my advice for anyone yeah. coming in, either as a student or as a professional. As a student, yeah, it could still link up um, because I know they have, they create internships yeah. with in different organizations. So. Right, yeah. Because community is important. I think pe- people really understand the value of community until they're in a place where they don't have the community they used to have and then they realize all of a sudden oh my goodness i've been taking this for granted so yeah definitely been part of a vibrant community like bps and for those listening we interviewed enoch in one of the episodes so please check that out as well i've got just two more areas i'm just to touch on briefly before we wrap this conversation up and one is around the power of mindset 
you may not have realized this, but when we started this conversation, you mentioned you attending the Robert Kiyosaki affiliated <laughs> events <laughs> and how that sort of changed your mind mm-hmm. uh, or, or improved your mindsets. And you also mentioned how books as well and research Google has mm-hmm. helped you in improving your mindset. And Enoch, who you actually just mentioned, I think said on, all the, epi- on the episode we had him on, how he was really inspired by your big picture thinking or big mindset thinking about even things as, you call it as trivial, for lack of a better word, or things as simple as buying a house, just being around you helped him shape his mindset to a much more bigger perspective, a bigger vision. What's the question I have here? Okay, the question I have here is this. How has, what things would you say have helped you, impacted the way you think? And on the back of that, if you could contrast how you were after you got that shift with how you were before you got that shift? I know it's a compound question, but you get what I'm trying to, to <laughs> yeah. say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's very kind in, in saying all those things. I, I think one of the greatest blessings we can be to other people is if either because of what we've done or what we're trying to do, or decisions we've made, if someone else is inspired by that, I find that really very fulfilling. And I guess for all of us, that's part of why we aspire and work really hard in the hope that, yeah, we not only improve our own lives, but when people see the challenges that we've been able to overcome, that just really inspires a belief in yeah. others as well that, okay, we can do it then. That means I also can do it. Mm-hmm. And especially in an environment like this, seeing someone who looks like you doing things that maybe one might have previously thought were impossible, I think just breaks that limitation on people's mindset. For me, I've always just been drawn to biographies and autobiographies of people who've done great things and through wide range of things, whether it's politics or religion or in sports, and just really understanding the fact that there are consistent themes mm. um, in all of those stories uh, about persistence, about resilience, about determination, about having a vision of a better future about goal setting, about hard work, about having the right values, and just about not giving up. And I'm a big, big promoter of reading books. So you asked a question previously, which the book itself just comes to me. You asked me which book I had read that made most uh, impact on me. It's actually the big picture. The big picture. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that. So it's about Benjamin Carson. Okay. She's an American brain surgeon. And I think he was one of the first, if not the first, yeah, you'd have heard the yes. story. Indeed. Gifted hands. Gifted hands. So yeah. I, I read the big picture before I read, because <laughs> back in Nigeria, I can almost see myself in my brother's house, in my room, in, in, in Ikoi then, with that book, the big picture. And just reading through it and his story so well about how, yeah, his very life is a life of transformation Mm. from someone who used to 
regarded as maybe brain damaged to now actually uh, becoming a very celebrated neurosurgeon. So reading books like that, and I think it was in that book that he said, your foreground doesn't have to be determined by your background. That means it, it doesn't matter how you grew up, what happened, or you can change your life can transform your life. Of course, it might be a difficult process depending on how rough a childhood someone has had growing up. But the fact remains that we as human beings, we are the ones who have been given that gift of actually being able to change our lives. We don't have to be limited by the same mindset. But the thing is, unless we have new information, we're always going to do what we've always done because that's all we know. But with new information, it expands our minds. Saying a man's mind once expanded never returns to its original size. Mm. I'm a big advocate of traveling, exposing yourself to new environments, new thinking, but in lieu of that, books... Um, because books give us an insight into new worlds. It gives us inspiration from the experiences of people who have achieved great things mm. in spite of whatever limitations they had yeah. growing up. And when you read such stories, when you read about the Wright brothers and how all the challenges they faced in terms of you know, people not believing a man could fly. And today, air travel is one of the most popular forms of travel. So when you see people do impossible things like that, it inspires you. Read widely, read both fiction, not fiction books. But for anyone looking for inspiration, for anyone looking for motivation, just reading biographies and autobiographies of people you admire and could be from different sectors. Some of the books that I've read as well about Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, about Shoe Knight, Shoe Dog, the guy that founded Nike. Those stories have a recurring theme. Mm. And when you look at people like that who are successful, and you see that there are similarities between them. Mm. It gives you that inspiration that you also can follow in their path. Someone that I follow closely now on um, LinkedIn is Seven Bartlett. Um, he's on Dragon's Den and also, yeah, he does a podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. this podcast so is, is modeled after model Stephen Bartlett's uh, podcast. Yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. So he's someone I follow closely and you would see again from many of the guests that he interviews, a lot of the stories are very inspirational because you see where the guests have come from. Some of them had very rough uh, beginnings, but then you see what they've gone to achieve. Mm. And in between that are the different struggles, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, the yeah, mental health issues and various challenges. But then you see how uh, many of these people come out on top and yeah, just stories mm. really inspire. You mentioned earlier about 
everyone has a story. Mm. And uh, I think that's a very important statement because we are all unique. And every one of us, no one can take away our life experiences, which more often than not are unique to us. And I think that's why it's important for everyone to share their own experiences in order to inspire others. So be inspired through the books and the podcasts and all, and be motivated to push the boundary and aspire to do great things yourself in the hope that, yeah, not only reaping the rewards of your hard work, but beyond that, being able to inspire even people that you do not know Mm. or people you won't even come into contact with who get to hear your story, who get to read your story. So, yeah. A hundred percent. Oh my goodness. I've got got too many questions, but we're running out of time now. So I will slowly bring this episode to an end. But there's something you said that I think was just so impactful. And that's this idea of exposing ourselves to the right information, the right resources, the right stories, because that impacts us as well. So I remember I was watching this video interview of Steve Jobs. If I Mm. I call it, it's still on Amazon Prime. And some of these interviews that they found that maybe it was missing. And he was talking about how, of course, we know Steve Jobs has his eye for great taste and design quality and all of that stuff. And the interviewer asked him about how does someone develop this taste? For example, I I don't have the kind of taste you have, but how do I develop this taste? And his answer was something along the lines of, if you try and be in the environments where these kind of things are normal Mm. and natural, very slowly it starts Mm. to influence the way you think Mm. about life, the way you think about design as well. And it really Mm. struck me. And hearing you again speak about the powerful Apple stories and exposing yourself to their own. So thanks for that. Sheffer Properties, I think we'll we'll end with that before we do the overview. What are some of the challenges you've had building your own business from scratch? Yeah, yeah, it goes back to that thing around belief, convincing people that, okay, we had the right knowledge, we had the right information, because our property business is a very capital-intensive business. And yeah, we've done the five and a half years, we successfully delivered about 25 projects of various sizes. And our latest project was a commercial conversion of an old storage space that had been MT left MT about for about ten years in the heart of Edinburgh city, and we converted it into two bed, two bath, really high end property. And the challenges we've faced have been around, especially in the early days, getting started, finding the right property. And I think that was another really significant point in my life because I was living what I'd known all my life, all my career, and moving into totally, not just a new role, but a completely different sector. And all I had was my training, which was a great thing. It's something I advocate. I know they say a debate about whether you need training or yeah, you can do research yourself. But personally, after we bought that first property I told you about, our plan was to save up and buy another within 12 or 18 months. But following that training, we bought six within the same period. So I tell people that it's paid for itself because he really accelerated our progress. So 
planning the properties, raising the capital, and executing the project. Because then again, it was a, a completely different life I'd moved into. I'd always worked in the corporate environment. So engaging with tradesmen, engaging with different people, with solicitors, with brokers, with architects. That, again, was, was a completely new experience for me that I had to, to get used to. But overall, yeah, just being able to yeah, find the right deals and making the decisions about where to invest, what to invest in, what type of property to invest in are challenges that we've learned to get accustomed to mm. and actually have a good handle on as time progressed. Random question, feel free to answer this question for Sprout. Was that all cash? Like you, you bought six properties with cash that you had saved? Because I'm thinking here, I'm here and I'm like, wait, what? No, but so that, that's the thing. In, in terms of trading, just really opened eyes to how you can finance property purchases through commercial loans, through bridging loans. And of course, anyone who's listening, who's thinking about it, I'm not a financial advisor. So anyone considering that, yeah, just to speak to your financial advisor or accountant, but that's how we did it. And also through the power of networking, we got connected to a few lenders and especially Together Finance, who have been our main finance partner. So that having the knowledge that, okay, there are other ways you can finance mm. this property purchases beyond your own savings mm. and that's the power of leverage and that's part of what really and it is the sort of like knowledge that training exposed you to that you didn't know before yeah gotcha yeah and that's gotcha. part of the reason why we've said earlier we've launched our own soft training uh, we've done a soft launch of our own training outfit uh, we call it 3e learnings and principally our aims is to equip People with the right knowledge and information about property investment. Secondly, to really empower people using our examples from our own projects to see what is possible in terms of the number, in terms of the complexity, and in terms of the final product. Being able to empower people that yet yeah, they also can do it. And thirdly, just really encourage folk who are looking to get into property and providing mm. that support uh, beyond the training and just working with them to ensure within um, six to 12 months of attending the training, they would have been able to secure their first investment property. Gotcha. And is this training still open? Because I'm thinking some people might, might want to be yes. part of your training. Is that? Yeah, that, that's correct. So okay. we have next, it's an all-day training session coming up on the 14th of October and our registration is still open. We're looking to close that by, by next week. But it's something we try to run on a regular basis. But the next one is 14th of um, October. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah. this podcast will be out by then. <laughs> but, yeah, by then. <laughs> but we'll yeah. put the link to Ines' company in the show notes, everyone. Yeah. So I'm sure if you post information about the trainings mm -hmm. there as well, and yeah. we'll, we'll definitely do that. Anyways, we are just a time. Final section is on reflections mm -hmm. on your life story. As you look back on your journey, what are you most grateful for? I'm most grateful for. My health, actually just thinking about it, and I'm in the fourth decade of my life uh, and I can't 
recall, certainly not in my adult life, having spent a day in the hospital, lying in a sick bed. So I'm really very grateful for that because health, your health is almost the foundation of everything else. Your energy, whatever inspiration you have, if you don't have sound health, it just severely limits what you can do. I'm very grateful that, yeah, I've been blessed with very sound health. Mm. Very grateful for a loving family. I spoke about my uh, my wife and my, my two children. I'm very grateful for people I spoke about earlier, spiritual, my business mentor, and the MFHP family. MFHP is a charity that I and a few friends started about 10 years ago. The full meaning is made for its praise. And it's a musical charity, and we hold four events every year and meet on a monthly basis just to hang out, food, fellowship, and dance, and music, and all part of having that close-knit support network. So I'm really grateful to be part of such a group. And finally, I'm just really also grateful that through Sheffield Properties and through our other companies, Pearl Springs, who do, that does short-term lets and 3E Learnings, the training program, I can contribute to tackling the housing shortage in the UK, mm. one family at a time. And that's what we're looking, that's the vision for Shepherd Properties to be able to do that, expand the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. We currently provide homes for about 14 families across Scotland now and want that to become 140, 1400, mm. but one family at a time. Okay. And you spoke earlier about the impact of your mom on your life. Do you want to just put a few words to describe your mom's legacy, the impact of your mom's legacy on your own life in like appreciation of, of her as well as a person? Yeah, just her closeness and her encouragement to me and also just really been interested in my, my opinion and what I was thinking, providing a lot of advice, especially when my dad wasn't around. So it was good fun to be with. Um, had a few good laughs together. So, yeah, um I'm really grateful for her life impact on me. Absolutely. If the knee that came to the UK a couple of years ago, how many years ago now? Like 16? Uh, 16, yeah. 16 years ago. Came to you for mentorship. I was like, <laughs> I've just learned it right now. Doing everything that you now know. <laughs> would you tell him to do anything different or anything specific that you've not done? Probably say going to reach out more or reach out earlier to people and try and make connections. I think when I came, yeah, I was just really head down heavily into finding out information on Google and all, but sometimes just networking, it's amazing because again, going back to life stories, because people have unique experiences and unique stories and the information you're trying to find online just by interacting or engaging with a few people and the right places you might be able to find. So that's definitely something that I'll say to someone who's just coming in. And of course, I think BPS is the answer to that in any case. And also try and enjoy and take in 
the city you are in. I think I was just really very focused on my academics and just trying to find my feet as well. Mm. So it was usually my room, class, library, in fact, my room. So I'd say, you know what, yeah, do that. Of course, it's important to focus, but also just try and uh, say, don't just pass through mm. and city, let it pass through you. And yeah, enjoy awesome. enjoy it. Awesome. If your life was a book, what would this title be? Given all your experiences, your aspirations, your goals, struggles, challenges, what would your life story look like if it was a book? What it would look like will be I aspired and perspired in the hope of inspiring one or two people to make better decisions for their lives. Mm -hmm. He aspired and perspired to inspire other people. Yeah. Same Love thing. it. If you if people see a book in the next coming months <laughs> or or years with that title, know where you heard it from, you heard it from here. Thank you so much, Nia. It's been such an honor um, having this conversation with you. Thank you for your time. Is there anything, perhaps, I'd, it, there's a question I've not asked or something you'd like to tell our audience that we've not, I've not gotten to ask because of this brevi this short time that you'd want to, to talk to our audience about? Yeah, I guess it's just uh, about you, Samuel. I think, yeah, the stories that shape us, I think it's a fantastic initiative um, that you've started. I know there are a number of other people you've interviewed and making these stories accessible for people, I think, is a very important work you're doing and something I would greatly encourage you to continue on and something I'll encourage the listeners to check out all the different episodes because these stories are unique and I'm sure they're going to resonate with people in different ways. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're very kind, honestly. <laughs> thanks thanks for the kind words. So thanks, dear listeners. We are now at the end of, of, of this show. I will post in the show notes Nii's social media handles. I know Nii is quite active on LinkedIn. Will be in the show notes. And also his Shefap properties as well would post the links to the website. I know people might have a number of questions, but they have contact details on, on their website. But Nii, thank you so much once again. For you, dear listeners, please, if you haven't subscribed, do subscribe and do share this episode with someone else. And leave a comment. We would like to hear your feedback. But until next time, I'm your host, Samuel Agbeden. I hope you have a great time, as you like to say on stories that shape us discover the transformative power of stories so share your stories with other people listen to other people's stories and you, you might be shocked at the inspiration that you might generate from that but thank you very much everyone and have a great day bye